Good morning to all and uh, welcome to those that are watching from at home. We're glad uh, to see a good crowd here this morning. And uh, we trust that pastor will not come back with a broken leg. Uh, some of you may know that <coughs> he went up to ski in the mountains, so <laughs> uh, be praying for pastor today. All right, this morning uh, I want to speak to you about something that I have probably wrestled with uh, more than most other messages that I preach. I've had a hard time getting this message ready, mostly because it kind of, it, it works on me as well. And so I'm preaching to myself this morning if I'm preaching to you. So bear that in mind. I don't want you to think when I, when my voice raises a little bit, I don't want you to feel like I'm scolding you because I'm scolding myself at the same time. And uh, you can see by the bulletin that uh, the title is talking about something that you don't often hear about in the church, and that is called fasting. And uh, I had an interesting discussion with uh, John this morning and learned something I didn't know before. How many of you are millennials out there? Raise your hand. Millennials, where are you? Raise your hand. Come on. Only one, two, all right, three, four. All right, there you go. All right. I understand that millennials have a system whereby if they're in exercise process, they fast for 16 hours. They go for 16 hours. Is that uh, the way it goes, John? Something like that? Yeah. Well, at any rate, uh, that's not what I'm talking about. But it's interesting to find that the world has found value in fasting, and we as Christians are asleep when it comes to uh, we're asleep at the, rail, at, at the, at the wheel. We don't re realize that the scripture has an awful lot to say about fasting. But I will say right up front, we are never commanded to fast. Fasting is not a commandment. But let me get started. Uh, I, I began by saying that in preparing for this message, because of all that's going around, on around us, uh, I have really had a hard time. I've been looking at my studies and my notes. And I've been, I'm considering the times that we're living in, and we are living in some different days. Now, some of you are not old enough to realize it, but I've lived through World War II. I've lived through the, the Korean War. I've lived through uh, the Vietnam War. I've lived through Desert Storm. I've lived through the Afghan War. Uh, I've got people that were involved in World War I, and, uh, you know, I, all I've heard all my lifetime is, uh, and I remember going to the subways in New York City and when World War II was on, in order, when the sirens went off, and that was part of the uh, protective system. But uh, uh, what is happening in our day right now is something I have never seen in my whole lifetime. How many of you older folks that are, are there any old folks out there, where are you? How many of you have seen the days that I'm talking about where you didn't have to lock your door at night? You, you, you ate with your neighbors, your neighbors ate with you, or you went away, you left your door open, you didn't have to lock the door up or anything. But we are living in a different time, and I find one idea standing out. As I thought about this message, I asked myself, what did believers do in other times when they were living through situations that are somewhat similar to what we are going through now. I don't think it has been, it has been a long time since there has been anything like we're seeing right now. And uh, I, 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 just, I just feel for myself that it is time for the church to wake up and recognize that if we don't do something about what's going around or on around us, 
we are, become, we are going to become the victims of what's happening around us. So I want to draw your attention to what the Bible has to say about this matter of fasting. Uh, I know that people ask, is fasting for us today? Uh, is it something that we are supposed to do? What is its significance? What is the purpose of fasting? Well, I want to look at this in a, in a rather uh, close-up way so that you understand what God has in mind for the believer when it comes to the matter of fasting. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm going to ask, how many of you have ever spent time fasting? I'm going to tell you right now, it's not easy and it's not fun. Now, some of you do it for dieting, and I, I can understand that, and you know that that's, that's hard too. But I'm not talking about fasting for that purpose. And I'm not talking about fasting so that you get a, a better uh, attention on God's part uh, from his throne room in heaven. We come on the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ, not on the merits of what we do. It's not because we fast. It's not because we are so superb in our praying that God hears us. But he has something for us to do when times are difficult. I'd like for you to look with me uh, at some things as we uh, consider the questions of why it's necessary to fast. It's not to make us more acceptable or favorable to God. It is not to earn us a better possibility to be heard by God. It's not to make me more spiritual. It, it might make me more attuned to the Spirit of God. I will say that. I can hear things when I get quiet with God, and when I do what the Scripture says in terms of seek my face, seek me, and you shall find me when you search for me with all your heart. And it takes a lot of effort, a lot of spiritual sensitivity and sincerity to seek after God with your whole heart. But is it to make me more spiritual? No, it is to be attuned to the Spirit. Is it to get an answer that I might not otherwise get? Well, I might say in that particular case, yes, maybe, but let's put it this way. I do it because it is the thing to do that God has laid out for me in the scriptures. Now I want, now don't get up and leave. Please follow me through because this is a difficult subject, but it's one that we really need to understand. If I'm supposed to do it, what is the purpose of it? When do I do it? Is it a personal matter or is it a corporate matter? Yes, <laughs> it's both. It is a personal matter and it is a corporate matter. We ought to be doing it as a church. And I'll say what I said near the end of my message in the first hour. If this church could get on fire about putting this principle in operation, it would soon spread to this community because the Holy Spirit works through times like this. And when we do what God tells us to do, it gives the Spirit of God an opportunity to move and to work in a community. I appreciate the fact that we're going to distribute packages and everything. That's good. They need to see our love and our compassion. But if it's not backed up by a time of prayer and fasting, it will, it'll just be good stuff. And they'll say, well, that's a bunch of good people down there. And we want to do that. It opens the door for, for people to come and listen to the gospel. But if I am supposed to do it, I want to understand and I want for us to understand that regardless of what you hear from me or what you hear from anybody else on television or anywhere else on the subject of fasting, if it does not accord with the scriptures, you don't have to do it. That is a basic principle for all of our Christian lives, regardless of what we're talking about. I don't care whether we're talking about 
the time of the coming of the Lord, we're not date setters, but we do know that there are certain things that have to happen. And sometimes Christians get all bent out of shape. Is it before the tribulation? Is it in the middle of the tribulation? Is it after the tribulation? Or, as some people believe, are only some people raptured and the rest remain behind until the Lord comes back? If it were that clear, we would all be on the same page. Can I get an amen on that? So, listen, friends. When we have things that you hear different things about from different people, different preachers, different television preachers, and so forth. The principle is, if it's not in the scripture, it's not valid. If it can't be backed up by what you see in the scriptures, it's not valid. I am in the process right now of counseling somebody who is hearing voices in his head. Right, right away, that puts up a flag to me, okay? Now, I've dealt with, I've dealt with the occult in Africa. I've dealt with the activity of Satan in Africa. I've dealt with the activity of Satan in America. And I know how the devil works. And I need to find out from that person, are you hearing voices or are you hearing your own thoughts? There's a difference between the two. And I have to get that person back to Scripture because that person will quote Scripture to me. And when he quotes Scripture to me, there are things that are, in, uh, that are included in what he's uh, saying about the Scripture that I know are not true. So I know it's coming from the wrong source because this is our final authority right here. If it is not according to the word, it is not the truth. Follow me on that. The same thing is true when we come to the matter of fasting. So I want us to look at it this morning, both in terms of what the Old Testament says about it and what the New Testament says about it. Now, understand once again, there is only one command, only one command in scripture concerning fasting and it doesn't concern us okay so go with me to Leviticus and I want you to look at a passage with me here Leviticus chapter 23 and I'm going to read verses 26 through 32 so as you understand that there was only one required time of fasting we're going to read about it here that was from sundown to sundown on the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament, and the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament corresponds to the Day of Calvary in the New Testament. It is a day when the Lamb was sacrificed, when the people recognized that their redemption depended upon obeying God in presenting the sacrifice that he asked for, and it was based upon all that God had revealed to them up to that time, and it is foreshadowing the cross, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the focal points in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus, whom we have sung about this morning, in his death on the cross is our focal point, and that is what this is all about. So in Leviticus 23, let me read this passage to you. On the Day of Atonement, what were they supposed to do? The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On exactly the tenth day of this seventh month is the Day of Atonement. It shall be a day of holy convocation for you, a day of holy gathering, you shall humble your souls. Now the word in the original language is connected to uh, humility and going without, depriving yourself of certain things that you would normally do otherwise, including fasting. You are to humble your souls and present an offering by fire to the Lord. Neither shall you do any work on the same day, for it is a day of atonement to make atonement on your behalf before the Lord your God. If there is any person who will not humble himself on the same day, 
he shall be cut off from his people. That's how serious this was in the Old Testament. A day of fasting in recognition of God's provision for their redemption and their salvation, and you are to obey it, and any person who would not do it would be lost. The same way that anyone who neglects the cross of Jesus Christ and tries to find some other way is lost. For Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, I don't care who he is, Muslim, Buddhist, Shintoist, pagan, American, African, whoever, no man comes unto the Father but by me. You shall do no work, verse 31, at all. It is to be a perpetual statute throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. It is to be a Sabbath of complete rest to you, and you shall humble your souls. You shall deprive yourselves of your normal daily joys. You shall fast. You shall seek God. That is all involved in humbling your souls on the ninth of the month at evening, from evening to evening. A 24-hour fast that went from sundown to sundown the next, next day. And so this is the only time in Scripture where there is a command to fast. Let's call this the historical statement of fasting in the Scripture. Follow me with this. Because out of this historical fasting in the Old Testament came a bunch of traditional fasts that grew up that God never asked them to do, but which probably in doing were worthwhile and it served their purpose. Uh, for example, during the Babylonian captivity for 70 years, in the fifth month and the seventh month while they were in captivity, they, during the fifth, uh, the, uh, fifth month and the seventh month, they, they uh, practiced fasting. Uh, you'll see how this lays over with the Feast of Ramadan among the Muslims. They take a whole month and they don't eat anything. Uh, they, they gouge themselves before, just before the fast starts so that it holds them all the time through, but they don't even swallow their own saliva. They spit it out. If you're a devout Muslim, you don't even swallow your own saliva. You don't drink anything. You don't eat anything. Now, that's not what we're talking about. But what God is talking about here is a time to recognize that he has made provision in the atonement through the sacrifice of the lamb, and you are to respect that in fasting for 24 hours. That's the only time that God asked his people to do that. And so uh, they did it in, in those two months. They did it in the uh, fifth month and in the seventh month. And then they, they began, if you look with me at Zechariah, uh, chapter 7. I hope you have your Bibles with you. If you don't have your Bibles, you've got your phone. You can find the scriptures on the phone. And uh, I, I always enjoy it when I see people looking. There's something about leaving through the scriptures and uh, being able to read. That's it. Get it out, John. <laughs> and I'm used to it uh, because I know that when, when these things are in the lap of young people, they're not reading the scriptures sometimes. They're making phone calls. They're sending texts. Text. I see some smiles out there. You know what I'm talking about. But uh, please, look at the scriptures on your, on your phone or look at the scriptures in your lap there. But Zechariah chapter 7. Now, in Zechariah chapter 7, the people had gotten to the point to where they felt like they needed to uh, add more uh, feasts, to the, uh, more times of fasting. So it became the fourth month and the fifth month and the seventh month, and the tenth month. And then by the time they get, got done, when it got to the New Testament times, 
it had amounted to a hundred times per week that they practiced fasting. Now, you don't have to be a big mathematician to know that there are only 52 weeks in a year, and if you fast for a hundred times during 52 weeks, you're fasting twice a day. I don't know how they did that, but this is where uh, the, the historical aspect of fasting went into, into tradition. And Zechariah was ordered by God to give a word of warning to the people. So listen as I read uh, in chapter 7 of uh, Zechariah. It came about in the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to him in the fourth day of the month, and I'm going to read on down. And they asked the question, uh, shall I weep in the fifth month and abstain as I have done these so many years? And the word of the Lord came to, to, to me saying, Say to all the people of the land and to the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, these 70 years, was it actually for me that you fasted? And when you eat and drink, do you not eat for yourselves and do you not drink for yourselves? Fasting is not about what we get for ourselves. Fasting is what we get for God. Prayer is what we get for God. A lot of times we miss that. It's, Lord, give me this, give me that, give me this. And th there is a place for that. But our primary responsibility as servants of God is to obtain something for him. He tells us to seek his face. Seek me and you shall find me when you search for me with all your heart. And when you search for God with all your heart, you'll find some things that are very surprising. You'll find some things that are surprising. You'll be more sensitive to the wickedness that's around you. You'll be more sensitive to the wickedness in your own heart. And that's why it's so important to, to do this kind of thing. But the Lord is saying, don't do it for yourself. These people here, when you eat and you drink, you're doing it for yourselves. You're drinking for yourselves. You're eating for yourselves. Are these the words which the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with its cities around it and the, Jev and the foothills were inhabited? And then listen, then the word of the Lord came to him saying, and this is the way true fasting goes. Dispense true justice. Practice kindness and compassion to each other. Do not oppress the widow or the orphan or the stranger or the poor. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. Are we living in a time when this is happening now? You better believe it. I, I get so sick and tired of watching the news on television. You see all kinds of injustice and lack of compassion and oppression and and, and hurting children and hurting uh, foreigners and the poor and people are just uh, out to get one another. We are living in evil days, folks. These are times like I have never seen before. Yeah, I, I was a bad boy. I did bad things. Ronnie knows that. Ronnie's my friend. We've talked about it. I'm from New York. He's from up in that area. And kids that are from up there do bad, did bad things. I know what they're talking about. And, but I have never seen anything like I'm seeing the, in these days. These are signs of the end times. These are things that are happening at a time when the Lord said, this would be the end of days. The Lord is coming soon, folks, in case it hasn't dawned on you. And if you do a careful study of the scriptures, and I, I, I've studied and taught prophecy over a long period of time, and I am convinced that we are only about two things away that remain to be fulfilled. Jesus, in Matthew 24, Mark, uh, Mark uh, 13, and Luke 21, indicated all of the different things that needed to happen before he would come back again. And when these things happen, he would come. 
88% of those things are in the process of being fulfilled or have already been fulfilled. And you need to understand the, the principle of Scripture known as double fulfillment. There are some things that are fulfilled temporarily as a sign. The destruction of Jerusalem was one of those things. It, it was, that happened as a sign that there would be a final destruction that would come later. There would be a time in the future for a lot of these prophecies. And we are living in the times when these things are happening. And I personally, myself, I've been around a long time. I'm going to be 84 this year, the Lord willing, if I, if I have the grace of God to be able to continue. And if I do, I'm going to keep preaching, sitting in a chair. Never thought I'd be doing this one day, but I'm doing it now because my, my arthritis, my bum leg is bothering me to where I can't stand up on it. So uh, if you don't mind me, pre do you mind me preaching to you sitting down? Okay, all right. Just as long as you're happy, that's fine. Somebody said they, didn't, they couldn't find anywhere in the scripture where it said you had to stand while you preached. <laughs> so here I am. But at any rate, uh, uh, what God was trying to tell the people through Zechariah here, and especially in, uh, in chapter 8, if we won't take time to go there, and uh, verse 19 talks about the fast of the fourth month, the fifth, the seventh, the fast of the tenth month, will become joy, gladness, and cheerful feast for the house of Judah, so live in love and truth and peace. But in the New Testament times, it had degenerated to where it lost all of its value and it has carried over. But in all of the Old Testament scripture, there is a third category. You have the historical category, you have the traditional category of fasting. Now you have, and this is the most important, you need to understand this, what is called the spontaneous category. There were times when they had no choice, but they had to fast. There were times when there were issues that were so impending and there was such a sense of evolving, threatening danger that they had to fast. Take, for example, uh, the time when Esther uh, was uh, in the court of uh, the Persian king and Haman designed a program whereby he would destroy the whole Jewish race. When it was found out, they proclaimed a fast. And she said, I will go into the king, and if I die, I die. If, if I, I'll do what I have to do, but we must, you must fast while I do this. And when she fasted, when they fasted, excuse me, they fasted, she fasted, she had her assistants all fast, and then she went in before the king, and God prepared the way through the fast. And he made a, syst uh, a system that was killing in its intent to become absolutely ruled out. There is a time also when there was a, a catastrophic disaster affecting the people of God in Nehemiah, the first chapter, where uh, Nehemiah saw the wall was broken down. He realized the devastation that had occurred to God's people, and he proclaimed a time of fasting. And when he proclaimed that time of fasting, there was a revival. There was a moving of the Spirit of God among the people. Why do we not see revival in our day? The reason is because the church has stopped fasting. I have heard one message in my lifetime since I have been in North Carolina, I have heard one message on fasting, except what I have preached myself. Now, why is that? Are we neglecting a Bible truth? It is there in the scripture. We're going to look at the New Testament, and this thing's starting to drive me crazy again. I don't know what's going on, but at any rate... Bear with me. Modern technology. It's great when it works. <laughs> All right. 
another aspect of spontaneous fasting is, uh, and this is interesting because it relates to uh, the prophet Daniel <clears throat> in the ninth chapter. When he studied the prophetic scriptures, he realized that there was a time of fulfillment that was coming. And with that time of fulfillment that was coming, he needed to take God seriously. And he saw by the, the, the prophecy of the 70 weeks in Daniel, he saw that he needed to take time and get on his face before God. And I'm going to tell you folks, if you study prophecy in the scripture, you'll find that it's time to get on your face. The Lord's coming is near. The word of God tells us in Matthew 24 that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all people and then the end shall come. How near are we to reaching everyone with the gospel in the world? In terms of Bible translation, <clears throat> my studies have shown me that we are at 98% of all writing and all ability for people to hear the gospel by radio audibly or read it we are at 98%. We are 2% away from the fulfillment of every language. And the scripture says there will be those from every language, every tongue, every tribe, every people. Until that 2% is finished, and we are at 2% that remain, that's how close we are, folks. If it hasn't dawned on you, read the scriptures. Read the prophetic scriptures. And the scriptures tell us in Matthew 24, Mark 13, uh, Luke 21, that there are at least 11 to 13 things that must happen before Jesus will come back. And in the final word in Matthew 24 is the verse, verse 24, verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all people, and then the end will come. We are in that time, folks. And as I told the folks this morning, the elders are going to take up a study of the kingdom of God. And there is no difference between the kingdom of God and I, I've seen theologians that split the kingdom of God into the gospel of the kingdom and the king, gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of Jesus. And no, there is one gospel, there is one kingdom, it's the kingdom of God. And when that time comes, Jesus will come. Now, there is a, a principle here that when there are spontaneous times when people need to get on their face before God. When God wants to reveal himself, when God wants to give his people a message, Moses went up for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I'm not telling you you need to go up for 40 days and 40 nights. We're going to look at some New Testament examples here. But I'm telling you that in the Old Testament, uh, Elijah spent 40 days and 40 nights. And the Lord Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights. And I'm not saying that that's the example for us. But I am saying that when there are spontaneous occasions that arise, and we are living in such a time right now, I have never seen anything in our government like I'm seeing now. I have never seen anything in our economy like I'm seeing now. Everybody is afraid. People are running around in fear. Do I get a vaccine? Do I not get a vaccine? Am I going to get coronavirus? Am I not going to get it? Do I need to wear a mask or do I not need to wear a mask? I'm going to tell you one thing for myself. I don't do stupid things, but I, I wear my mask where I need to. But Psalm 139, 139 tells me that God knew the day that he would bring me in the world. And he saw me when I was being formed in the woman. He saw every one of you. And he knows the day that you're going to go out. And you don't need to worry about everything in between. Do the best you can to protect yourself. Wear your mask if you need to. But I'm going to tell you, 
When you get pushed to the element of being ridiculous about this, you need to put your confidence in the Lord and know that he is taking care of you. Behave yourself like you should. Be an example. Be a testimony. You're not going to die until the Lord says that it's time for you to die. Amen, John? Can I get an amen to that? Now I know it's nearer for me. So, you know, when I'm going to see the Lord might be sooner than when you'll see him because if I die, <laughs> my wife doesn't want me to die first. She wants to go first. <laughs> but be that as it may, I'm so glad that he is in charge. He is in control. I don't have to worry about it. Put your mind at ease. Live in liberty. Christ has set us free. He has called us to liberty. He wants us to walk in liberty, to enjoy the peace of God in our hearts and minds. So one of the characteristics in the Old Testament is that when there are times of impending disaster and so forth, those are times when we might consider the need to get alone, either corporately as a church and we need to have a day of fasting and prayer. I will say this, that we had our times in Africa when I was on the mission field. We had a day of prayer. We did nothing but pray during the day. And that is when the Spirit of God broke through in the Ivory Coast. And the church grew from eight to 10,000 baptized believers to over 200,000. Now, you can't tell me that prayer doesn't bring a change when you get serious with God and you seek God and you fall on your face before God and you spend time and you do what he's asked you to do. All right, let's move out of the New Test Old Testament and go to the New Testament. There are several individual accounts that, you know, these are interesting. You don't have to do this yourself. There is Anna the prophetess who fasted from the day that uh, her husband died until she died at age 84. Uh, there was Jesus who fasted for 40 days, and that's the only time in Scripture we note that he fasted. And there were times, actually, when they accused him of <laughs> associating with uh, uh, people who were uh, wine-bibbers and gluttonous, and he said, I came to call the sick people to repentance. I came to bring healing to those that had a problem, which is why I'm associating with them. John the Baptist and the disciples uh, had a time where they followed uh, the two-week principle of the Pharisees where they fasted two times a week. And uh, in Matthew, you look with me at Matthew chapter 9 uh, again. And uh, it's, well, I say again because it's similar to the passage where um, we read as our opening passage. Matthew chapter 9, and uh, let me read verses 14 through 17. Matthew 9 uh, Oh, I'm in Mark. Yeah, we preachers, we have our problems too. I better get new glasses, I think. Matthew 9, 14 to 17. Here we go. The disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your, your disciples do not fast? So they have this question in their mind. Are we supposed to fast? Are we not supposed to fast? What do you have to say about it, Lord? And Jesus said, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. Can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Okay? Is the bridegroom with us today? How many say the bridegroom is with us today?
All right. Let me just tell you, he is with us at all times, but he is not with us in the final sense of the word. So we who are the attendants of the bridegroom, what are we supposed to do? We are the attendants of the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom. He's coming back to reclaim his bride, and there's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. There is going to be that wonderful wedding ceremony that will take place when Jesus comes. But in the meantime, he's gone. The bridegroom is gone, and we are here. The attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. The word mourning carries the idea of fasting. They will not fast while the bridegroom is with them. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and we're living in that period, then they will fast. You're not commanded, but Jesus says elsewhere in the passage in Mark that I read, I think I read it, I read it this morning for the first, <laughs> did I read it? Okay. When we, when we do it, when we do it, when we do it, the word when is in there. It doesn't say you must do it, but when you do it, it assumes that you probably will. So I will say by way of in, uh, introduction to the New Testament teaching on fasting, there are places where it is indicated, but it is not commanded. The Apostle Paul went without food simply because he was deprived of the opportunity. On board ship, they threw all the food overboard because uh, they needed to do that to save their lives. Uh, but whenever you read, for example, in Matthew chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 9, the key word is when or whenever, which assumes that you will fast. And if so, when will you do it? You will do it in times when there is a spontaneous need for it, when there is a political situation that is putting you in danger, when there is an economic situation that is putting you in danger. Let me read you. There are times in the history of America, there are times when God has intervened in using the weather, and that has been done in response to prayer. And if you don't know that much about Desert Storm, you talk about anybody that fought in Desert Storm and you'll find how the wind reversed the way that it normally blows and blew into the face of the enemy. Did you know that? Some of you knew that. Let me read you this. Back in, this is really old history for some of you. I, I don't like the fact that history books are being rewritten because when, when you rewrite history, that means you don't want to learn from what happened in history. And if you don't, learn from history, you're going to live to repeat it. And you're, go you're not going to enjoy it. You're, not going to, you're going to regret it. Okay, the wheat fields of Minnesota in 1876 were devastated by a plague of locusts. Yes, here in America. And then uh, in 1877, uh, the threat looked like it was going to become a possibility. And I, I see Jean really perking up because she's from Minnesota. So she wants to know about this. But at any rate, the minister at that, uh, the, the, the governor at that time, the governor of Minnesota was uh, John S. Pillsbury. I think it relates to Pillsbury Flour and the, the company and so forth, all the weed up there and so forth. But he proclaimed a day of fasting and prayer for every man, woman, and child, almost to the point of all the dogs and cats too. But he proclaimed this time, and he asked that everyone seek God's help that he would intervene in the possible plague of locusts. This is uh, uh, 427, I thought it was January, February, March, April, the month of April, 
There was a time of unseasonable summertime heat in April. Now, you know what happens in April around here. You know what, you know what happens in April in, in uh, Minnesota? You can find yourself putting on your snow boots and going outside in Minnesota. And so at that particular time, there was an unusual heat wave that was equivalent to summertime heat for three days. Now, what do you think happened when the heat shone on the ground? The locusts began to sprout out of the ground where the eggs had been laid, and they came up out of the ground, and the people saw them, and they were afraid to death. And then that night, God sent a very heavy frost, and it killed all of the locusts. Now, you can't tell me that prayer and fasting doesn't do something. I'm going to read you something else here. I'd like for you to listen. You already know what it is, so you be quiet. <laughs> it is a duty. This is a president that said this, and it wasn't Joe Biden, and it wasn't Richard Nixon, and it wasn't George W. Bush or George H. W. Bush or Franklin Delano Roosevelt, but listen to what this president said. President of the United States, it is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dep dependence upon the overruling power of God, to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon, and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. The awful calamity of this war, which now desolates the United States, may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. What I see going on tells me we need a reformation in our country. We need a mighty moving of the Spirit of God to turn these things around that are going on around us. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves, and that includes fasting, before the offended power to confess our national sins and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Abraham Lincoln. Now, I'm going to tell you, folks, we need something like that now. We need something like that in this church. We need... We need to get to the point where we stop playing church, stop going through the motions, get on our faces before God, let him know that we mean business, we are serious, because if we don't get serious about it, all the stuff that's going on around us right now is going to fall back on us. We are going to get blamed for what's going on. You see what's being said in the paper about evangelicals and so forth. And there's always going to be a scapegoat, and the evangelicals will be the scapegoat. And Jesus said that in the latter times, we would have difficulty. He said, if you follow me, you're going to be persecuted. And if you don't think that's happening, you just look at what's happening on our mission field. Christians that are being taken and slaughtered and killed, and they're being blamed for the problems that are going on in their countries. So my friends, I just want you to know that this is serious business. And what I want to ask is, in your own personal life, I know you. some of you are going through difficulties. We have pastor talked the other night in prayer meeting, and I was really impressed by that. He felt like there was an, oppress an oppressive activity of Satan upon our congregation. If you can't feel it, 
by looking at all the people that are sick and all of the problems that a lot of our people are going through. And if, if you are honest with yourself, you know that you are living in a situation that you're not, how many of you are comfortable with the way you're living today? You don't have to answer me, but I know how I feel. I don't like what I, I'd rather go back to Africa. I'd love to go back there. At least they're a little bit more civilized than what, what I see happening in the streets of America right now. Now, granted, there are problems there. I don't care where you go in the world today, you're going to find those problems. But are you in a place where you recognize that the urgencies of the situations that are, that are, that are before you require that you do something beyond the ordinary? What are the issues, what, how urgent are the issues that, are, that you're facing? I thank so many of you who prayed. You got the news about uh, our great-grandson that was four months, uh, he's now almost five months uh, in his mother's womb. And the doctor said that this baby has spinal bifida. And I sent out a, how many of you got my notice? Well, a few of you did. But I sent that out I, to my friends on Facebook. I sent it out to my 70-some-odd friends. I have gotten back 100 and, 161 responses saying that we have been praying what has happened. And I sent the word out. She went to one visit. She went to the next visit with the doctor. She went to the third visit. And the doctor said the baby does not have spinal bifida. You can clap. I don't care. But I'm going to tell you, God did something because God's people got serious about praying. And there were some people, I'm sure, that were fasting over this issue. Friends, when your back is against the wall, the only way to do is to get down on your face before God. How serious are you about resolving the issues that you're facing? If you get serious with God, he will get serious with you. How urgent are these issues? I'm going to say, and I'm going to challenge you, and I know this verse comes from the Old Testament, but I believe it's true. If something could start in our church right here, if we could individually and or corporately get to a point to where we take seriously the need to fast and to pray, I think that we would see God move in a, in a new way. Second Chronicles 7, 13 and 14. If my people, are you God's people? Are you God's people? Are you God's people? I don't hear too many loud noises here. If my people who are called by my name, are you called by God's name? How many are called by God's name? All right, you raise your hand. If my people who are called by my name, that's us, will humble themselves, and remember the origin of the word humble includes fasting and praying and seeking God, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I am impressed as I read scripture over and over again now, I'm seeing the word plague and pestilence more times than I think I have ever seen it. Are we in a time of plague? Are we in a time of pestilence? You better believe we are. And they're telling us that we're all, if we don't wear a mask, we're all going to die. Well, I don't think that'll happen, but it, it is serious. And I'm going to tell you, if we are God's people, the outcome of what happens in our country depends upon us. Because God says, if my people will call on my name and humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, 
I will hear from heaven and I will heal the United States of America and we need healing. John, would you be pleased to lead us in prayer as we close?